if the Lord helps me, I want to share an insight from his word that I think could be helpful to some of us. And I pray that he anoints me to rightly handle the word of truth and that he convicts us with his word and brings to light a victory in our lives that we all seek. It always strikes me that when Jesus comes to Jerusalem, when he's going to die, when he's going to be delivered over to the chief priests and elders and crucified, on his way in, he experiences the greatest outpouring of support in his entire ministry. Crowds line the roads, throwing their cloaks before his donkey, waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Obviously, this offends the Pharisees, but it doesn't stop the people. In this same city, just days later, Jesus will be standing on Pilate's judgment porch, surrounded by a murderous mob, shouting those awful words, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. We have to ask ourselves, what could have caused this seeming reversal in what you might call public opinion? When Jesus comes in after the triumphal entry, he goes straight from there to the temple to cleanse it. And he exhibits the most intense display of zeal and displeasure ever recorded throughout his ministry. He cleanses the temple of those who bought and sold oxen and sheep and doves. He turns over the tables of the money changers and he says, zeal for the house of God has eaten me up. Once he's gotten all the animals and money changers out of the temple, he brings into the temple people, the blind, the lame, the needy, children. And he begins to heal them and love them. And again, the children begin to shout, Hosanna, blessed is the son of David. The Pharisees get angry again, try to get Jesus to stop them. And he says, have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself? Jesus has just made the most overt frontal assault against the authority of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day in his entire ministry. I would point to this cleansing of the temple as the single most critical catalyst that reversed that public opinion, if you will. In fact, it was what released the pent-up wrath of the bitter, jealous Pharisees and religious leaders. It is what pushed them over the edge and made them murder him. You could almost say, speaking hypothetically, that he wouldn't have died, Jesus wouldn't have died at Passover time if he hadn't cleansed the temple. You can imagine the Pharisees felt pretty insecure. The people are choosing between two kinds of authority. One that desecrates the temple, that allows selling animals and, and money changers. The other authority brings in the crippled, the blind, the needy, and heals them. The rulers of the people said, if we let Jesus alone, 
like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Jesus posed an existential threat to their legitimacy, their authority, their role. And they they had to get rid of that. They challenge him after the cleansing of the temple and they say, by what authority did you do these things? And who gave you this authority? It's like they're asking, what kind of authority is this? And where did you get it? And Jesus asks them a question. He says, if you answer me this question, I will answer you by what authority I do these things. He says to them, the baptism of John, was it of God or of man? He doesn't say, was it of God or of the devil? He says, was it of God or of man? And they discuss amongst themselves. If we say it was of man, we fear the people that they might stone us because they believe John was a prophet. Yet if we say it was of God, Jesus is going to ask, well, then why have you not believed him? And so they come back and they say, we do not know. They refuse to make a decision. They refuse to decide about what God has already spoken to them in the past. I don't believe Jesus just picked this question out of thin air in order to stop the discussion. I believe that Jesus knew that they and we are incapable of understanding, perceiving, and believing in the work of God today if we have been unable to recognize and accept what God spoke to us yesterday, if you will. John the Baptist had brought a message to these people and they couldn't receive the message Jesus was bringing today unless they went back and obeyed the message John had brought some years before. Jesus answers them and says, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. The next morning, Jesus is coming back to the temple and he's hungry. And because he's hungry, he sees a fig tree And he expects that he can find fruit on this fig tree. It's covered in green leaves. He goes over to the fig tree, but instead of finding fruit, he finds only green leaves. Now, I want to say here that the fig tree, as commentators will tell us, is always symbolic of the Jewish people, the Jewish faith, Israel. And so I think that this this incident with the fig tree is not an example of Jesus getting mad at a tree. Rather, I think it's tied to what was happening in the temple with those religious leaders. Christ had come to those religious leaders, and instead of finding fruits, the fruits of the living word of the prophets still being obeyed, the fruits of earnestness and seeking the coming of Messiah, the fruits of charity and obedience to the law of Moses, they really didn't have any vitality left. And like this fig tree, they were a dead, fruitless institution. And so to the fig tree, Jesus says, you are cursed forever. No more will anyone ever eat fruit from you again. It's as if what he's saying to the fig tree, he's also saying to those religious leaders, your ministry is over. Your service to God is done. It's over. He's standing there next to the fig tree and he pronounces this curse 
And then he tells the disciples that it is faith that empowers him and them to curse fruitlessness. I believe he's speaking in national terms here. I think he's speaking in very large terms here. But think of that in a personal sense. Imagine yourself as that fig tree and that you have been unable to come to a conviction concerning what God has already spoken in your life and therefore you are unprepared to understand or receive his miracle today. But he tells you, if you have faith, if you can start believing right now, faith comes by hearing the word of God. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can wither this fruitlessness in your life. You can say to this fig tree, be taken up and it will obey you. Be thrown away, it will obey you. Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to this fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. It's possible Jesus was referring to the mountain right in front of him, Mount Zion, where the temple sat, and the entire religious structure and institution that was being rejected by God, about which he said, your house will be left to you desolate. And indeed, by the faith of Jesus, that mountain was thrown into the sea. The temple was torn down and it's never been rebuilt. We have to remember that when the Pharisees encountered the ministry of John the Baptist, this ministry that they couldn't answer was from God or from man, when they encountered John, John the Baptist told them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Go and bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And see, the axe is already laid to the root. So when Jesus encounters the fig tree the morning after he's asked them about John's ministry, I think that there's a connection there. They had none of the fruits in their lives which John had told them to bear. And it would have only been possible for them to accept and understand Jesus if they had the fruits that John had told them to bear. The axe can only be laid to the root by faith. I think that we should ask ourselves the question, is the baptism of John from God or from man? That is to say, in our lives, has God spoken to us and in the moment we were convicted, but then we let it fall by the wayside? We shelved it and said, we don't have to answer this right now. If so, we are unprepared for the miracle that is coming, or indeed the miracle that may have dawned just now. The only thing that can get us right with God again is if we wither and uproot that old dead tree and ask God to bring us to a place of conviction concerning his work in our lives and the words he's already spoken. The tree was both a curse and an omen to the religious leaders, but it was also a promise that if they had faith, they could get rid of this tree that John warned them about today, and they could be prepared today to receive what God was doing. When we are able to confess with clear conviction 
that the baptism of John, so to speak, was from God. That the word God spoke to us last week was the truth. And the month before that, and the year before that, and the decade before that. And that our fruitlessness is only the consequence of our equivocation and our double-mindedness. When we can come to that place of clarity and conviction, it will be as if this old tree is uprooted and a new and living tree can be planted in its place. 